Sports A180 delivered by Edley's Barbecue. Always great to catch up with John Feinstein hitting the national headlines from the weekend. Talk with Austin Price and Eddie George coming up. But right now, we say hello to John. John, hope you're doing well. Doing fine, Jonathan. I hope you guys are well, too. John, what in the world was Greg Williams thinking at the (laughs) end of that game yesterday? And it led to him getting fired, but it was also the best possible outcome for the Jets as they stay in the running for Trevor Lawrence with the number one pick. Yeah, they stay in the lead uh, because Jacksonville only has one win, Um, although the Jaguars came awfully close to winning yesterday, didn't they? Uh, But, you know, I've never understood the fascination with Greg Williams. Uh, he He was part of Bounty Gate. Uh, he was the coordinator for the Browns when they went 0-16, so he had a chance to be the defensive coordinator for two of the three 0-16 teams in the history of the NFL if the uh, Jets could lose out. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting that the, the, the way people who know football have reacted, which was basically, what, what were you thinking? I, I mean, all you need to do is get the receiver down, any receiver down, on the field. And the game's over because the Raiders are out of timeouts. And and not only did they, they go with the blitz, but the cornerback bites on a fake. Now, why in the world would you bite on a fake in that situation? If the guy is going to turn and catch the ball in front of you, then fine. So that that not only was the call ridiculous, but based on the way the, the play turned out his guys weren't coached up as to what to do in that circumstance. And I've never been a fan of Greg Williams dating to his days in Washington. He was always a snarling, know-it-all type of guy. Uh, at one point, Dan Snyder wanted to make him the coach in waiting. I would say that the team lucked out with him not becoming the head coach, except that they never hired a good coach until Ron Rivera. And uh, But I, I don't get it. And, and if you're going to fire Greg Williams, which I have no problem with, why is Adam Gates still working? Can someone explain that to me? Because they're losing, and that's what they want to happen. Maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe that's it. Keep Adam Gates there, but maybe they should also keep Greg Williams there while they're at it and hire Jim Zorn as their quarterback coach. John, of all the weird stuff to happen this season, and across multiple sports too, not just with college football, but that the most compelling game by far, on December 5th of this COVID-2020 college football season was BYU in Conway, South Carolina to take on Coastal Carolina is one of the upsets of the season. But here we are. It was a great game and a big moment for a very young Coastal Carolina program. Yeah, it was It was a terrific game. Um, you're right, Chad. I, I wrote a, a column about, I don't know, five, six weeks ago now on Coastal, so I feel pretty good about that. Um, when they were 5-0, and I think they were 5-0, and uh, and had just won a tough game against Georgia State with their starting quarterback out uh, that week. And um, they, 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 they're a great story. And, of course, you, you know who's smiling the most are the members of the CFP Selection Committee because now they can say, see, we told you so about BYU. Well, maybe, but I would also make the case that Coastal's pretty darn good. Uh, and, you know, I would love to see them. They won't get a chance against a, a, a Power 5 team uh, and see what happens. I'm not saying they'd win the game, but I'd like to see what happens, and I, I, I'd bet they'd be pretty darn competitive. Uh, but you're right. Uh, the, 
December 5th is supposed to be the day of the conference championship games. And, of course, they won't be for another two weeks. So Coastal and BYU gave us the game probably a lot more entertaining than any of the conference championship games would have been anyway. By scheduling the game, um, it doesn't sound like Coastal Carolina is going to sniff the college football playoff. But if, if BYU did, if BYU won the game, would we be talking this morning about BYU potentially getting in? Well, we might be talking about it, Jonathan, but it, w- it's, it, w- it wasn't going to happen. Uh, you know, if they had won the game, maybe they, they'd have moved up to 10th or 11th. Uh, and Cincinnati's not going to go higher than 7th. Uh, they're not going to take a non-Power 5 team. I mean, we can talk all we want about Cincinnati being deserving or BYU having been deserving or Coastal Carolina being deserving. And past years, you know, UCF went undefeated, beat Auburn, uh, as we know, in the Peach Bowl, when Auburn had beaten both Alabama and Georgia, who did play for the national championship, the the the, the, the CFP is a cartel, and the 65 Power Five schools, which includes Notre Dame, of course, um, are going to make sure that they are not put in a position in a four-team playoff where they might have to play and perhaps lose to a group of five team or Brigham Young, which is not technically part of the group of five because it's an independent, uh, but same thing. Uh, they're not going to let that happen. Now, if the playoff ever expands to eight, which I think it should have been all along, uh, then they might be forced to give a group of five team a spot or in, in, in a crazy year, maybe two. And this is a crazy year after all. Um, and and that will, that will ultimately be good for college football because there will be an upset. Somewhere along the way, a UCF, a Cincinnati, somebody like that will beat a Power 5 school the same way we see upsets happen in the NCAA basketball tournament. The magic of that event, as we've all discussed, is Butler making the Final Four twice in a row, George Mason making the Final Four, VCU making the Final Four, Loyola of Chicago. That's the magic of the event. Not Kentucky and Duke and North Carolina or any of the Power schools you want to talk about, and it's too bad the football people have yet to recognize that. Am I mistaken it was Carson Wentz part of your quarterback book? I, I couldn't hear the – all I heard was Carson Sorry, Wentz. am I mistaken or was he part of your quarterback book? He, he was a part of it, but in a peripheral way. Uh, I had spoken to him during the season, uh, and we had agreed – he was great, but we had agreed that we would sit down and talk at length once the season was over. He didn't want to do it till the season was over because the, the Eagles were on a run where they had a chance to make the Super Bowl. And, of course, they made it and won with Nick Foles as the quarterback. But after he was injured, he said he didn't want to sit down and talk at length because he wanted to focus on his rehab. So he was peripherally part of the book. So you know him at least a touch. I'm just wondering bit, yeah. what, what you think of what's unfolding there. Um, we've kind of joked that he's maybe the luckiest guy in the world for the for the COVID non-crowds because of the beating he'd be taking up there. And there's some speculation that he was really hurt when when they spent a number two pick on uh, the guy that's now got inserted yesterday over him. Well, I think any time your team drafts someone at your position with the notion that this person has the potential to be a starter, then, yeah, you are going to be hurt. I, I remember talking to Joe Flacco right after the Ravens took Lamar Jackson with the last pick of the first round. which turned out to be one of the smartest moves they've ever made. 
But uh, Flacco told me the story that he was sitting uh, with Dennis Pitta, his friend, the retired tight end, watching the draft. And a minute or two after uh, Jackson's name went up on the board, the phone rang, and it was John Harbaugh. And Harbaugh said to Flacco, hey, Joe, we got you a tight end because they had drafted Hayden Hurst with a 25th pick. And Joe said, John, you're not calling to tell me you drafted a tight end. You're calling because you just drafted a quarterback. And, and Joe knew that they had drafted him with the idea that he would be his replacement, whether it was that year or a year from now, whatever. Same thing happened when the Chiefs drafted Patrick Mahomes. In fact, Andy Reid called Alex Smith before the draft to tell him, if we have a chance to get this kid at 10, we're going to take him. And Alex knew what that meant. It meant that he might have the job for another year, which he did, but they didn't draft Mahomes to sit on the bench for two years, and clearly they knew what they were doing. Now, uh, Tungo Vilo is a, uh, excuse me, um, Hertz is a second-round pick. I'm confusing my Alabama quarterback. Yeah. Uh, and that's not a first-round pick, but it's still not somebody you take to hold a clipboard. So no doubt Carson Wentz was aware of what the Eagles were doing, and I'm sure he was hurt, maybe concerned. Maybe he's playing a little tight because he feels Hurts looking over his shoulder. Uh, but let's be honest, he's had a terrible season. And I wish I had a better explanation for it. Now, the offensive line has been devastated by injuries all year long, and that's certainly an issue. But those who know quarterback play better than I do will tell you that he has just not played well. And and maybe he's got an injury that he's hiding in some way. Maybe he's just messed up mentally. Who the heck knows? John, what do you think about the Big Ten changing their own rules to allow for Ohio State, with a lack of games played, to play for a Big Ten championship? Are you even a tiny bit shocked by this, No, Dad? not at all. I mean, they want a team in the college football playoff. Neither Indiana nor Northwestern are going to get into the college football playoff. In Northwestern lost to Michigan State. Indiana lost to Ohio State. They both had terrific years for Indiana and Ohio State. But they want a team in that CFP4. And if Ohio, whether Ohio State plays Michigan or not, if they beat Northwestern in the Big Ten championship game, they're going to be in the, in the four. They're going to be in the four. There's not any question about it, and probably they are one of the four best teams. But it doesn't shock me even one. I I would be a little bit more shocked if the sun were to rise in the West tomorrow (laughs) than I am that the Big Ten would change its rules to make sure that Ohio State has a chance to play in the CFP. South Carolina hires Oklahoma assistant Shane Beamer, of course the son of Frank Beamer, He's from the state. He's got ties to the program. He had coached there before. But, John, are you at all surprised to see South Carolina fire Will Muschamp in season and then go hire a first-time head coach to take his place? Not really, uh, to be honest, Chad. I mean, Shane Beamer certainly has, uh, you know, the genetics uh, to be a, a, a great coach based on who his dad was as a coach and is as a person. Um, he's been around uh, a winning winning staffs, uh, and we we t- discussed this a few weeks ago because I, I think didn't you guys ask me uh, if Hugh Campbell might want to? Uh, no, you asked me if Tom Allen yes might move from Indiana to South Carolina, and I said, look, it's a middling SEC job. 
You know, Lou Holtz never won the SEC uh, when he was at South Carolina. Neither Steve Spurrier. Uh, it's it's a it's not an easy job. So I don't see. I didn't see a Tom Allen or a Hugh Campbell or some of the hot younger coaches who might be moving up. You know, those two guys have been rumored if if there's changes at Michigan or Texas. That's different, Michigan and Texas. But to me, if you want to uh, hire a a great coach at South Carolina, this is probably the route you have to go and hope that Shane Beamer, that this hire turns out to be one that people look back at. Oh, look, South Carolina gave Shane Beamer his start as a head coach. Will that happen? I don't know. But I think that's the route you almost have to go if you're South Carolina. John Feinstein with us. John, Kentucky has now, what, two double-digit losses to unranked non-conference opponents in, right. in college hoops to begin their season. Yesterday against Georgia Tech, 21 turnovers, including 15 steals by the Yellow Jackets. Is this just your typical John Calipari, young, freshman-heavy team, or do you think there's more to it than that this year? Well, it is your typical John Calipari, freshman-heavy team. That's the way John has built this program. Uh, in the, what is this? This is the 12th year, uh, at Kentucky. Now I'm sure they're panicking in Kentucky. Um, uh, my, my old friend Dan Dockich made a comment yesterday when he was doing the Xavier Cincinnati game that if, uh, Kentucky were to lose to Georgia Tech, John might be running out of non-conference opponents since he won't play Indiana, probably never <laughs> play Richmond again, and now he may never play Georgia Tech again. And people are going to have fun with this because of who John is. Let me say this. I think John Calipari, and I have issues with a lot of things John does, like not playing Indiana, but I think John Calipari is very underrated as a coach because we see all of these um, uh, lottery picks coming through his program. And so the thought is, well, you're coaching lottery picks every year. Of course you should be in contention right. for the national championship. And, and, and I think that makes sense. But what you have to understand is John takes these guys from November to March and really molds them into a good team most most years, almost every year. And that's not easy when you're coaching guys who are looking looking at the door already because they're they're sizing up where they're going to go in the NBA draft. And John's been able to do do that pretty consistently. And and I I watched John when he was the coach at UMass and turned a one in twenty seven team into a Final Four program. We all know what he did at Memphis. Um, I think he's a hell of a coach. And so even though I'm sure they're panicking in Kentucky right now. My guess is Kentucky will be all right by the time it matters in February and March. We've seen this happen before where a school with a coach in place just goes ahead and talks to the big big gun anyway. Uh, where's Texas now? Where's Tom Herman now after Urban Meyer says no to Texas? You know, if I were Texas, I, I uh, you know, in, in today's day and age, we all know, Everybody wants instant gratification, and they want, you know, they hire a Tom Herman who had done so well at Houston. John Harbaugh was supposed to turn Michigan around in 15 minutes when he got there, and then it doesn't happen. And so you say, okay, we got to make another change. It's time to make another change. Now, Tom Herman's in his, I believe, third year at Texas, and they have not taken that next step to being what Texas is supposed to be, but this is an era. You remember when I when I was growing up, the, the, there was a handful of teams that dominated all the time. It was Notre Dame, it was Texas, it was Nebraska, it was Oklahoma. 
uh, Southern Cal. Uh, and, and But times have changed. I mean, look where Nebraska is right now. And I thought Scott Frost was a home run hire when, when, they, when they brought him back uh, to his alma mater three years ago out of UCF. It, it's harder now. It's harder now. Now, you, you could say, well, why are Alabama and why is Alabama so dominant? Because I was about to say an LSU, but look where LSU is a year after winning the national championship. So Alabama and Clemson, they've been the two dominant programs for the last five years. They both have it going with recruiting, and everybody wants to say they played for Alabama or they wanted to play for Clemson, uh, and they are flat-out football schools. But it, it takes a while. And, you know, Nick Saban was 6-6 six and six his first year. Lost to Louisiana Monroe. You know, it took Dabo Sweeney a while to get Clemson to where it is now. So I would, if, if I were consulted, which of course I won't be, I would counsel patience, especially in the case of Tom Herman, who I happen to think is a very bright, young coach. Wait another year. Wait maybe two more years before you hit the panic button. It's not like they're terrible. It's not like they're Nebraska, for example. It's not like they're LSU this year. Uh, give it a little more time. And see what happens. And 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 I, I think you know what if Mike Krzyzewski had been fired after his third year at Duke? What if Tom Izzo had been fired after his third year at Michigan State? Both of them, the the alums at those two schools were screaming to get the two of them fired, and the athletic directors waited and were patient. And look how it turned out. John Feinstein, who joins us each Monday to hit the national headlines. John, thank you as always, and we will catch up with you next week. Appreciate you. Look forward to it, guys. Thanks.